It's a lovely morning or evening or the middle of the night. When do you listen to Waterproof Records? I gotta know. Do you start your day with me in your ears or do you drift off to bed to sleep, cozied up, going, what? What albums, what music shall Jacob and I discuss this evening? Is that the kind of relationship we have? I hope so. That's what I think of when I think of you. Yes, you. It's another Waterproof Records, your unsinkable tunes from the past, present, and future. You know, that's the tag that I like wrote when I put this show together, and I feel like I don't say it enough because it's awesome, right? Your unsinkable tunes from the past, present, and future. Come on! It's as good as the Waterproof Records story. Um, I am excited. It's another guest episode. And before I introduce her, we're going to kick things off with the tunes. But I'm here to let you know. Well, you already know because you clicked on the title and you saw it and it's in the description and everything. So it's really not a surprise. But let's just pretend for a moment that it is. Okay. It's time to talk about Kate Bush, The Dreaming, with my guest, Allison Scagliotti. Let's go. But you know, before we get down to brass tacks, I have to thank and shout out my sponsor, DistroKid. Couldn't do this show without DistroKid, and you know you hear me talk about it every week, but honestly, if you're putting your music out there, it's one of the coolest services available, and in all of my social media, and on the link to this podcast, link to YouTube, everywhere you go, I have a special VIP link that you can use. It gives you 30% off your first year of DistroKid. That's pretty remarkable. DistroKid is your chance to get your music, your songs, your singing, whatever whatever you're playing. If you're playing like the bongos and that's all it is, you can put it out on DistroKid. You can have an album, you can have a single. They will put your music on every platform available, Tidal, Spotify, um, Apple Music, whatever you want it to be. And it makes it so easy because it's there and then you can you can collect those royalties. You can share with the other writers and, and musicians that are on the albums. That's easy through splits. Um, but go make sure you check out. It's distrokid.com slash VIP slash waterproof. Um, make sure you get that discount off. And I, I highly recommend what they do. I love DistroKid and I'm so happy that they support this show. So now you've been so patient and you've seen, if you're watching the show, the majority of you listen. But if you're watching the show, you see the laptop in front of me and you know it's got a guest. The guest is waiting. They're, they're, they're in the wings if we were on stage right now. The curtain's back, and she's off to the side over there before the, the, the show begins. The show is going to begin. Ladies and gentlemen, everyone listening right now, please welcome my friend, my guest, Allison Scagliotti. Welcome to Waterproof Records. Salutations, Jacob. Little did you know that the wings, uh, that, that brief moment before stepping on stage is my absolute most favorite place in the world to be. I did not know that. It is a That's great true. place. It's that 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 split second of anticipation, that liminal space between all the preparation you've done and the moment of performance. That's just, it's magical. 
Oh. Can I just tell you, though? Yes. Hearing you say my name in the same breath as Kate Bush gave me a little frisson just now. I yes. was really not yes. prepared to hear our names uttered in the same breath, well, even though this album was of my choosing. So I, I know. I love it. I love it. You've, you've kicked off my show in such an articulate, like, well-spoken way. I love this connection that we have to the theater. I love the choice you made because it's very, you know, everybody who listens to the show, as I bring on more guests, I'm starting to have the opportunity to branch out of, you know, my musical landscape of I'm known for the 90s, even though I listen to, obviously, stuff well before and after but I'm known for that decade primarily. And so when I have a guest and they choose something that's like, oh, I'm not as familiar, I'm really excited about it. Uh, this is my moment of waiting in the wings where I'm kind of like, where will this go? This is an improv show, if you will. So oh um, I'm so happy that you agreed to come on. And uh, the, for those who watch, uh, you know, like I mentioned, a lot of people listen to the show, so they don't always see my guests, they hear the voice. But if you recognize that voice, if you recognize that name, she is an actress. I should have said that up top. Actress and musician, um, you know, has been working in the business for quite some time. And you may recognize her from her her breakout roles on Drake and Josh, which was uh, where it all really blew open for you. And then uh, Warehouse 13 and Stitchers. That's the other one. That's correct. Yeah, those are some of the shows that uh, that you were on, and, and and no, not a not a little part. These were main roles in these these uh, series. So, very very cool. So uh, let's let's kind of kick things off a little bit, just talking about um, you know what what made you arrive. You're here on the West Coast with me, um, and that's how we met. But where did you grow up? Uh, so I have to acknowledge that I just hit my 21 year anniversary in Los Angeles in January. My career is officially old enough to order a martini. Finally. Yes. Yes. Um, but I came to Los Angeles by way of New Orleans. Um, wow. Where, you know, my love of all things decadent and opulent was fostered. My My parents took me to see theater from a very young age. I was in you know, piano lessons and ballet class. I was just a, you know, I was an artsy little girl, right? Yeah. I wasn't interested in scouts. I wasn't at all coordinated in, you know, team sports. Yes. Um, I was just a little weirdo who fell in love with, um, with the stage and with storytelling primarily, you know what I mean? It, it, yeah. We are not, one in the same. We are one yeah. in the same. Yes. I love it. Um, yeah. So I've been here for 21 years. And That's it's, amazing. it's really, a, it's a daunting number to think about. Um, and it's funny, you just mentioned Drake and Josh. Um, and it's, I never would have thought, Jacob, because I was 13 years old mm -hmm. when I first appeared on that show. And I only did eight episodes. Um, wow. I was never under contract, never went to the Kids' Choice Awards. I think the Aww. only time I ever did a, I know, I know. Uh, I told you, I was a, I was a weirdo. I wasn't a, I wasn't. <laughs> one of the mainstream little starlets they wanted to trot across the orange carpet. And that's right. totally fine with me. Yeah. Um, but I, um, you know, I was four years younger than the boys. It was uh, not to de-romanticize it, but just to be totally realistic about it. It was a job, you know, I mean, right. I loved, I was a latchkey kid who grew up watching TV land. That was my real, um, my first education in the art of 
landing a joke in the sitcom format, you know? Yeah. And so to have that opportunity on such a big show, I was just, I was in work mode. I was a little, you know, little pro and like what 13 year old, you know, gets an audition and goes, ah, okay. I'm going to base this character on BB Newworth's role in Frasier. <laughs> that should give you an idea of how many friends I had. Yes. Yes. <laughs> well, I can relate. I mean, I obviously, so to give some context on how you and I even got introduced, I met you through music. That was mm-hmm. our introduction. Um, you know, we both have done things with this cool amp company called Positive Grid. And we were basically at this thing called Jam Lab. And my role at Jam Lab was, you know, they came to me. I'd done a few things with them. And they'd said, hey, we just want you there kind of, you know, as the social host, the person who can encourage. Because when you get a, a room full of, you know, actors, it's you don't need that. But if you have a room full of musicians, oftentimes there could be a lot of introversion. There could be a lack of like, are they going to communicate? Are they going to be able and comfortable with playing stuff. And so they brought me in for that. And um, so when I met you, you were this guitar player, you know, this really cool guitar player. But we we got along really well in a very short amount of time. I was like, there's something something cool about you. We get along and hearing all this. I have a confession this, about that, yeah, Jacob. What? That, this is, I feel so silly, but it's true. That evening that we met, I didn't realize this, but I think the the algorithm had shown me one of your videos, not the day before. You're and kidding so, me. I'm serious. And I, I had that sort of, you know, moment of brain fog where I thought we knew each other already. Oh, <laughs> that's so I'd good, seen, though. You know, it was it was one of your, you know, what it was Reactions. like hearing this song in the 90s for the first time videos, right. and I, which you just busted me up. I thought it was great. And, and so Yay. when I saw you, yeah, I had that moment of like. Oh, it's, it's him. I love it. I love it. That, that happens to me more and more, uh, where I'll be walking through places and people kind of go like, Oh, Hey man. And I'll have this panic and I'll go like, is this somebody that I know? You know, cause I've, I've been in Los Angeles. We almost are celebrating the same anniversary because I arrived in 2001. And so I'm just entering into my, you know, 22nd year, uh, yeah, yeah. I'm trying to do the math in my head. So so I've been here around the same amount of time. And so it's been a long road out here of working various jobs and trying different industries. And so people will see me and I'll go, they'll say it. And then they'll say, hopefully, they'll go, I love your TikToks. And I'm like, okay, that's that's how they know me. It's not a, you know, somebody. But I'm not what I love. Really you're right, right. Yeah. Right. But your, your familiarity with me and us kind of assuming that we knew each other. And I kind of had a feeling about you, too. And it, maybe I'd seen you on television. And, it you know, because of your work with uh, sci-fi, you'd been on some, you know, podcasts with some of the same. I'd been doing stuff in my like around 2011, 2012, 2013. I was making content for Machinima. Which was that, yeah, yeah, I mean, they don't exist anymore, but I was making these web series and I was running around with all those people making that online content, which was like the nerd community, right? It was like the nerdist, the the sci-fi, which I love and I'm a, a big fan of. And so I, when I saw you as well, there was this familiarity 
of like, do we know each other? And so we got along swimmingly, I must mm-hmm. say. And <laughs> the, two, the two hams in the room were just yes. like heat-seeking missiles. Yes, <laughs> yes. And then finding out, you know, that you just now hearing about your upbringing in theater and the acting and performance and your love of that, it just makes perfect sense. As theater kids tend to find each other. Um, and get along really well. And so I, I knew you, yes, yes, it's so true. <laughs> I, I, um, did you ever see that? It's so funny. It's, I know this is the worst to describe a SNL sketch, but it was that song, uh, the crucible cast party or the crucible <sighs> rap party. Oh my God. It was a music video that SNL did a couple years ago. And I sent it to every theater friend I ever had because it was all about being in plays and going to like the cast party after the crucible. And I was like, anyway, I will share it with you after the show. Please, please do. Yes. Um, but we got along and we connected on social media. And it wasn't until then that I was like, okay, she, you know, th- she clearly, when she started out in in Los Angeles, it was, it was, you know, uh industry focused in terms of the entertainment industry, like acting and being on screen and you're still doing that as well. But music has also just taken a, um, would you say it's taken a little bit of the lead in your life right now or no, not necessarily. It completely has. Okay. It's, it's what I do full time now. And I love it. I was so, I was so lucky that, um, you know, to go back to what you said about when I first came to Los Angeles, yes, absolutely. My focus was, you know, being a child actor. And at that time, I think the landscape has changed a lot for kids right. now, thankfully. But at that time, the expectation was you're homeschooled. You're not in any other kind of tuition-based, you know, regularly scheduled extracurricular. Because if that right. had been possible, I would have stayed in ballet. Right. Um, you you devote your life entirely, and even your education is sort of sidelined you know, to, to be available at the drop of a hat, to tape an audition, to go film on location or something. But, you know, I, like we, like we've established, I'm a little, I'm a little storyteller kid. And so it's very, I I think most actors struggle with the idea that when you're not actively creating a character, when you're not actively working, where does all of that creative energy go? And, you know, I'd already, I knew how to read music. I loved the piano but the guitar is quite a bit more portable. So uh, it is. So I, I started my journey with the guitar when I was about 13. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just always something that was just for me, that yeah. you know was a creative passion that I could nurture, that I didn't have to worry about paying the rent with. Right. And it, it was just mine. And so now it's so bizarre that I'm in my 30s and music is sort of a full-time that's awesome. Thing. Um, I love and it. And has eclipsed, yeah, has, I, I shouldn't say eclipsed, but has um, filled uh, filled various creative voids in my life for you know, a really long time. Yeah, I, I'm so happy to hear that. And um, I moved to Los Angeles as an aspiring actor. Um, that's why I, I got out here. I was, you know, I went to University of Illinois Urbana and I was a stage actor. And, you know, like most of us who went to, programs or conservatories or whatever it was like you had two paths you either go New York or you go LA you either go Broadway or you go Hollywood and when I was living in the Illinois area I I kept thinking to myself you know I was in musicals and plays I had no film background I had no uh interest in Hollywood as the end goal um 
It wasn't so until similar. the it's upsetting. yeah I yeah is it right much it's the same yeah yeah it's yeah. it's one of those things that I wasn't even thinking of it and it wasn't until the end of my time there that I befriended somebody who lived here and and got involved in making shorts and whatnot and that kind of changed the trajectory and I showed up here married I got married when I was twenty two twenty one you know she was twenty one I was twenty two we're still married and. Starting out in Los Angeles to try to make it as an actor, as a married couple, was a a foolish idea, a very foolish idea, because it wasn't um, it's it's a it's a craft that really requires you to be focused solely on yourself and handling yourself. And you can't be focused on, hey, who's going to feed us both? You know, and right. so building a it, life with someone and the stability that it requires to do that. Yeah, right? exactly. It, there was there was a lot of that. And. So I, I, it became this thing, not to get into too much of it, but it became this thing where it was like, well, I'll go get the day job and you pursue that. And, and it just became such an up and down. And so my life took me into so many different places. And what I love is that music is the most centering thing that has happened to me in a long, long time. Um, right before the pandemic, I started to just kind of think to myself, I don't really care about the entertainment industry as in film and TV. Like I was making short films on my own, but I'd lost all that kind of desire of look at me, look at me, look at me. It really started to wash away. And this is pre pandemic. And then when it did happen it and, and the music thing and the TikTok thing happened, it really brought me back home in a way because there's something so pure and simple about loving an artist, sharing a love of of music with other people, playing, writing. Um, it there's just no bullshitting. It's who you are. It's what you're into. And I still love to perform, and I always missed that creative itch. But this has been a very fulfilling way to handle this kind of next chapter of my life. And I love that we have this so much in common that music has really become, um, you know, the, the, the favorite thing to focus our lives around. And I, I just thought that was so cool. <laughs> I love this too. And Jake, yeah. I mean, you know, we're going to, I have a feeling we're going to keep finding these commonalities, but I too, you know, again, you get started when you're 11 years old, you, mm-hmm. you see, you see how the sausage is made and yeah. it, I, I can't even imagine was guilty of becoming really cynical even my in my early 20s you know because I just felt like oh nothing means anything like you can be you can be the hardest working most professional most trained you know uh on paper you can check all the boxes and still you know it doesn't feel like your trajectory is entirely in your hands yeah. And that I really struggled with that. And so um, I too, right before the pandemic was feeling really downtrodden about it. And then when we locked down, do you remember how many people were going live on YouTube to perform monologues yeah. or shooting? Sh- and this is in no way, you know, judgmental of that. I of totally course not. understand where that impulse came from, right? We all, we needed to get Something. We need to express ourselves in some way and connect yeah. with people, right? Yeah. But I felt just existentially when it wasn't safe to leave our homes, I felt absolutely no impulse to try to make a short film. I was just like, I don't, we can't hug our families because yeah. we might kill each other. I don't, I don't care about 
<laughs> Same. Short, or, Same. or doing a monologue. And I, and I feel, you know, my, my own self-talk is just so bad. I mean, this is the, the, the blessing and the curse of having four Virgo placements in my astrological chart, but I could be as productive as I could, you know, I could be operating at the height of my productivity and still feel like I'm not doing enough. And in 2020, I can only look back and go, wow, that was really kind of prolific. I wrote, I released my full length um, French concept album. Yes. Then I wrote two EPs, a pair of singles. And then January, 2021, I cranked out my second French album, Vampire. And I look back at that and I'm like, how did, where did that spurt of inspiration come from? Right. Because I right. felt, you know, a, a tremendous amount of, of confusion and existential dread and how realistic is it even to be a professional creative in this new landscape that we live in? I yeah. was ready to pivot and go get my master's degree in something, you know, completely outside the arts. I, I hear and I you. might still, who knows? Right, you know, right. But. I mean, <laughs> jury's still out. Anything's possible. But um, but this is so interesting because I too, um, you know, after all the stuff that I'd been working on with other people and creative circles, and um, I had made a short film in 2018, and then 2019, I was thinking about that as well. And then I too, kind of <clears throat> on the lockdown, felt this. You know, everybody was saying like, "This is the perfect time." to get your stuff done. And I, I felt really unable to do those things and work on those things. I just felt like I, I couldn't make it happen either. And, um, and there's too much pressure in that too, right? Yeah. All of a sudden we have the time. kind of time. Yeah. Completely unstructured time that we pray for. Yeah. And we're like, and now what do I do? Yeah. And it was like, it was like, uh, reflecting on it. I've reflected with a writer friend of mine about, you know, back when I used to write more, he said, it's not like that there was an announcement and they said, Hey, everybody, great news for the next six months to a year, you're all on vacation and you get to enjoy the next year of just being at home and like working on what you know, it was, it was, there was a dangerous situation and you're not, there's not enough information coming out and we don't know what's happening. And so that puts you in high alert and you just don't know how to handle that. It wasn't a gift of time. It was kind of a consequence of time. And so that just makes you feel uneasy about even, you know, there's a little, for me, there was a little level of like guilty conscious about, well, I can't use this time for myself. Right. Exactly. Yes. Yes. And, and so, so many strange things, but you know, I'm glad that it created for you at least an opportunity, silver lining to create these albums and, uh, you know, what I want to talk about La Femme Pendu. Am I saying uh, it correctly? Uh, pretty close. Say with, it for with me. The French, with the French accent, it would be La Femme Pendu. La Femme Pendu. And it means the hanged woman. It's patterned after a, a tarot card. I'm so glad you explained that because I read that about you. It's trying to do my research, but I I, uh, <laughs> I read that it was from a tarot card, and I thought that was very cool. And uh, for the audience, it's kind of like a like an alter ego for you. It's like a, a place where you get to explore um, this other version of yourself and this style and this universe that you've created. And I, I, could you talk a little bit about how that came to be? Oh my goodness. Of course. Yeah. It's, it's absolutely a character. I mean, um, so just for context, I got my, I 
it took me years, but I finally finished my undergrad in music studies with Berklee College of Music. And prior to that, um, I had never written a song. Um, I was one of those teenagers who would make you a million different playlists and tell you all about what I'm listening to and all my favorite things. And that love of music for me and just the way that again, my negative self-talk works created, I I was just so intimidated by the full lexicon of music. I thought I have no idea what I even want to say. I don't know what, you know, what my sound would be. I don't know what my voice sounds like. All I knew is that I didn't want to do the coffee shop thing where my name is just the act because as we've said, we're theater kids, right? right? I come from a place of, you know, who is the character? Where are you in time and place? What is the, you know, the visual mood? What is the tone of, of the story you're telling? Right. And through a number of different things, um, you know, an amazing course uh, at Berkeley called Developing Your Artistry and, and also just sort of having a little bit of time to myself to figure out what it is that Allison likes as opposed yeah. to being an empty vessel to take on whatever character was my job, right? Right. Led me to find the thing, which was, you know, this this character, this this uh, French witch. Uh, yes, <laughs> yes. You know, and so the, the idea was, um, you know, just sort of throwing a whole bunch of things into the mix that that activate me and that make me excited and, and became the container for, um, my storytelling through songwriting. Um, and so it exists. La Femme Pendue, you know, is, is my project that exists at the intersection of, uh, film studies, feminism, and Francophilia. I know that sounds really pretentious, but (laughs) those are just all things that are deeply part of me and what I love. You know, I grew up in new Orleans and the, and the, influence of both French and Spanish culture is everywhere from right. the, the, the street names to the architecture, to the food. Um, I, you know, I'm a, I'm a former child actor. I, I grew up speaking the language of, of film and, and around the time I was kind of conceptualizing La Femme Pondue got really into art house and folk horror films. Yes. Um, and then, you know, being a being a little baby feminist, you know, watching these films and speaking a romantic language that is so uh, structured around gendered um, rules of grammar and vocabulary, all these things kind of went into the pot and boiled over. And I, I, I figured out the thing. And the album that we're going to talk about had such a tremendous influence on that. Um, and so the first, the first song I ever wrote is, is on my first record, Absolute Horror. And it's, um, from the perspective of Rosemary in Rosemary's Baby. Right. Sort of, you know, so many of these horror films that I reference in my songwriting are directed by men and yet they're, you know, led by a tragic female character. So Mm -hmm. there's, you know, to me, there are many layers to peel back. Um, Sure. Sure. I can imagine. and, And you know, when I, when I take a step, I very rarely go back and listen to my own music, which is so funny that, you know, we can labor over these things for months and months. And then once we put it out, we just can't listen to it anymore. 
Right. Um, but once in a while, just to, I'll, I'll realize like, I forgot how this song I wrote goes. Let me, let me just revisit it just to remember what did I do there? Right. Right. And I'll go back and I'll listen to a song and I'll be kind of surprised by the content of the songwriting and something will you know sort of reveal itself to me and I'll go, Oh wow. I didn't even realize I was working out this personal thing through these lyrics that are about, I don't know, Suspiria, you know, right, these right. lyrics that are about, um, that movie, the witch, you know, yes. uh, and it's, it's exciting. You know, I really, I just really like having the container of a character. Yeah. And I, it's almost all in French. Is there any that you sing in, in English? Um, one of the EPs that I put out during, um, lockdown uh was this little kind of like new orleans concept ep called the legend of the river king a lot of it's in english um the last second to last song i think is in kind of like it's a bilingual sort of cajun um uh conjuration i don't know right um but yeah i i i'm getting closer to uh writing in english but i really again like another filter right like right it's a character it's a it's a world right it's like that 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 there are certain layers and boundaries that separate allison from this this world that you are in and if you start to remove too many of them then it it, then they merge right then you come out of it a little bit more precisely yeah and i mean you know all of my songwriting is personal yes but you know i once again, like I want for the the big red velvet curtain to come down before I wipe my makeup off. Right. And, uh, you know, that will always be a really important part of the process to me. The same way that, you know, you watch like Annie Clark in interviews, right. And her, her persona in an interview is completely different than when St. Vincent takes the stage in her latex, like shredding, screaming. It's so true. Yeah. It's very true. And that's a great reference point for people that, you know, don't think of it often. You know, they think of the artist that they see, but even the ones that are <clears throat> really well established, they it's almost impossible to not create a persona in front of people. Um, you know, I, I'm only going to lean on it just because I know it so well, but even Billy Corgan and being a fan of the Smashing Pumpkins, he's, when you listen to his podcast, he's like, look, there's the guy that's on stage that you think, you know, and then there's me, mm-hmm. you know, and it's, it's almost impossible to not become, you know, what people who perceive us to be, um, mm-hmm. the audience that's watching what they're going to fill in the blanks for. So it just becomes this thing. But also within our work, um, humans are just so interesting and multi-layered people. You know, within the same breath, we have two different thoughts of love and hate, and uh, you know, depression and joy. And we are so complex as as beings that when we put art out there, it's it would be too simple to say, "Oh, it's just it's just them," and that's I can see why. Even getting away from um, Allison Scagliotti, the singer-songwriter, who's it's like it just allows a little bit more freedom um, to say it doesn't always have to be that person that you think you know, but it can be so much more. And that's, I think, what draws us in even as creators and storytellers and actors and artists and why we got into theater at a young age. We saw 
I get to pretend to be somebody else. I get to be on exactly. stage and be a killer. I get to be on stage and be this person. And there's a there's an excitement in that. And that that has nothing to do with us. Um, for those who don't act and perform, that has nothing to do with like not wanting to be yourself. It's the excitement of knowing you get to inhabit like other worlds of story and creation. You know, if all I got to do was be myself, I'd be bored. Right. right. Why would I only write about what I know when through a character I can visit worlds and, and subject matter that is so far removed from my own experience day to day. Yeah. Yeah. Suspension of disbelief, escapism. Yes. (laughs) Yes. I mean, it's like, if you go to, you know, you hear the trope that people love to throw around when writing, write what you know. And it's like, yeah, if that was the case, then we wouldn't have science fiction. If that was the case, we wouldn't have horror movies. You know, like we, there, you, you can imbue them with real things from your life, but the, the brain gets to play in spaces that you dream of. Uh, and the moment you say, you know, sometimes it's fun to write what you don't know and explore right. and take find. It, take it beyond just the very literal experience of leaving a scarf at somebody's house. Right, right. right. And, you know, make it about uh, the ghost that came to visit you and, yes. and talk about the experience of leaving something behind. I don't yes. know. <laughs> yes, no, no, I'm with you. I'm with you, you know? and I'm, I'm one of those people. I mean, I, I love, um, and I love films that kind of make you feel like it could be centered and grounded in reality, but then they do one little thing that you go, oh, wow, this is really taking me into the realms of the unknown or the supernatural or the science fiction. And, um, you know, you talked about your your incorporation of horror. Um, and I, I want to highly recommend everyone to go check it out. It is this kind of smoky, uh, you know, s- sultry kind of cinematic element w- with your singing in French. And, I, you know, when I heard it, I was like, wow. So being fluent in French, uh, that's just a product of growing up in New Orleans, just it being part of your life. Is that how it came no, about? No, I wish I could. I wish I could say that I started speaking it you know, I, that I knew Creole French or something from my childhood, but no, I just studied it in college. And, oh, okay. um, I will say, you know, I don't want to draw attention to my mistakes, but it is, you know, very true that between the first record and the second record, my French improved so much. So I have a really hard time. Listening I think to it's great. Cause I hear, I hear all of my all of my uh, my errors on it this is um, this is the ex- this is yeah. the juicy exclusive moment that when you listen to waterproof records you get to hear that <laughs> e- that the, the, there's a ah you know i could have done better and i'm i'm getting better in that certain realm i would never know as a non french speaking person i would never know you know it's like the same feeling i get when i listen to icelandic artists or even you know cigaros that sometimes are a nonsense language it's like it's about a feeling it's about a mood it's about a tone even when you when you look at the cover of vampire um mm-hmm. am i saying it right it's it's spelled a little differently right. right it's vampire yeah, but right. even it's the cover the, yes. the cover with your photograph with the gold fang the and gold it just fang. Yeah, it's so it has an aesthetic and a feel and all the imagery, you know, it's very um, only lovers left alive. Uh, I, I That's a you that's a it. film that that immediately comes to mind as I see blinds, shadows, you know, I feel this kind of like um, nocturnal people 
and never, never, never it. being. You yes, I got it immediately. <laughs> I was like, I totally yes. get what this is. I know what this vibe is. And I want to I want to stare out my window on a rainy day with a coffee and a cigarette. It has that energy to it. And uh, don't smoke, kids. I'm just kidding. Um, but I was going to say that's the uh, that's the energy. And it is communicated so clearly without even understanding what you're singing about per se. And so has that been hard um, in terms of like reaching a English speaking audience while you're not singing in a language where they can look at the lyrics and know exactly what this is? Yes, tremendously difficult. I come up against this a lot and Mm -hmm. I think there is a, a particularly Western tendency, once again, to emphasize literality in lyrics and in the music that we consume, right? I think it's a byproduct of of, uh, top 40, right? Of just like popular music and that's fine, right? But it's supposed to be challenging. If you, you know, I I, I say this to people all the time who are like, and this hurts me deeply. I don't speak French. Do you have an English version? (laughs) No, I don't. I I don't. No, I don't. Yeah. It's it's French music. Uh, (laughs) You know, like, release the need to be a sleuth about what the song's about. If you're, if you don't absolutely understand the language or if you maybe recognize a couple words here and there, but the rest of it's mysterious, let that wash over you. Let it be exactly what you were just saying, Jacob, like let, let the vibe and the mood and the vision that it took to establish those things make you feel something and put you in a space that's yes. and that to me is the magic of music I'm, i listen Absolutely. to music from all over the world you know um because there are so many different you know styles and rhythms and and scales and instruments that we're not used to right to our to our western harmony trained ear um yeah. that can just totally transport you and Yes. Uh, and, and give, and I just find it so nourishing. I think I just feel like music can give you so much and fill you in these, um, totally ephemeral ways. Yes. So. And I think that that's, that's so well said and why we are drawn, um, in, and it is healing, it's restorative. And it has been for people like us that have been in various ways pursuing, um, an industry and a career that it just doesn't, doesn't doesn't help with a lot of that healing and nurturing. You got to do that on your own. That's a lot of self work. Um, but music within itself is, uh, it just comes with it built in. It's like, it's like here, this is for you. It's a gift. And, um, it's so, it's so remarkable. And I, there's a great comparison. I, I hope you can, um, see the, the link in terms of, uh, of hearing something and not knowing what's being said, but a memory I have of watching comedian Eddie Izzard, Eddie Izzard, however you want to say it, yes. I believe has oh. just recently announced he's one of my all-time favorites. Now is would like to be called Susie. So wonderful. I think that's fantastic. And I think oh, fantastic Susie. Susie. Love Susie. Love Susie. So funny. Oh. And Dressed to Kill was one of those specials that I watched on repeat. And I, I friends Same. would come over and I would say, you got to watch it. And I would do I would do bits. I would repeat it. I would I, I to this day, I still quote from it, you know, cake or death. I still do those bits. 
But at the sure. end of the special, he goes into this entire sequence where he's speaking in French. He's speaking in right. French and he's doing a whole bit about a monkey and going under the table. And uh-huh. you don't know what he's saying if you're not a French speaker. But the moment right. you release and let go and you let go, you go, don't worry about it. Don't trouble your head that this is in another language. You start getting it and it starts connecting and you start feeling what is so funny and what is so uh, why this is working universally. And And I think there's music in comedy. There's There's music music in comedy in comedy. Absolutely. Comedy only works with timing. Yes. What do we know about music? Right. It's all about timing. It's all about like note values and rests. And yeah, I mean. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I so, couldn't agree more. I totally Yeah, so that's a that's a that's a memory that I have of where when you do kind of let go of um having to know everything. You said it well with sleuth, you know, have to you have to know exactly. It's like you got to give into it. And that's hard for some people, so I would encourage if you're one of my audience that um cuz it seems like in music definitely people are of the lyrics camp and of the of the sound, the audio sound, and I'm of more of the sound. Um, much more of the music. I can listen to an artist for a long time. I've talked about this tons in the show. I can listen to an artist for years and I have no idea what they're even singing about because it's just mm-hmm. that instinctual feeling. But I would encourage everybody who listens to check out her albums. Uh, they're amazing. And you can find them anywhere. You can just look at La Femme Pendu, 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 La Femme Pendu. And you La can find La Femme Pendu. Um, you can find them. And I think you're even doing a, a vinyl pressing right now that people should go purchase a copy, um, and help her get the, get those finished up. That would be amazing. Right. Yes. So, um, but I, I, uh, I really, really love that you came on. Cause I mentioned it to you when we were hanging out at a show that you were playing with, you were playing with a band that you are currently in the fainting yes. party. Oh, Fainting party. I Fainting love this party. band so much. It was such so a happy cool. accident to stumble into it. Just yeah. one of those, like, you know, I was introduced to them by way of somebody whose taste I really trust. Who was yes. like, oh, these, you know, these folks I know are looking for a, a guitarist for their post-punk goth trio. <laughs> yeah, right. I was like, oh, <laughs> I've never I'm felt in. more seen, more known. I know. Yes. Right. <laughs> Where do I this sign is up? Me. Yeah. I love it. It's the fainting party, which I went and saw you play and you were fantastic and the group was fantastic and it was great energy on stage. You guys had uh, matching outfits uh, that were very like kind of uh, 17th century um, black kind of a you described it to me what it, it was. was, a, it was a, yeah, that was all Steven. Steven is the, the lead singer and, and bass player. Those are um, French priests callers. Mm hmm. <laughs> That he ordered. Of course they are. Through some like ecclesiastical supply. Uh, (laughs) I loved it. I loved it. It was perfect. It set this tone immediately. You're like, oh, I, I'm in for this. I'm in for this. So good. And then you have a bar sinister. So we really needed, you know, there is a strict dress code at that venue. So, you know, we went black only. You're, you are ready to go right now with your black. You've got your entire ensemble. We could go to bar sinister right now. I don't um, even buy blue jeans anymore because they'll sit and why bother? You know, disintegrate in my dresser. <laughs> but you have another band as well that you play with that I missed that last time you played. You play play with another group as well, correct? 
Yes, um, I'm more sort of, you know, backup auxiliary guitar um, for this oh. band called Seven Horse. Uh, That's what Seven it was, Horse. They, Seven Horse. Yeah, so um, Phil Levitt, the drummer, and Joey Callio, the guitarist, um, formerly of a band called Dada, very 90s moment. Mm, I do, uh, yeah. I remember them, you yes. You remember Dada, sure. I do. Um, and so they've been, they've been, Seven Horse is typically a two-piece, um, mm-hmm. you know, just the guys, and they've been doing that for about 20 years, but they put out a new record in the fall. And last May, Phil and I had 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 experiences playing together by way of my, I call her my musical fairy godmother, Cherie Curry of The Runaways, because mm-hmm. uh, I, you know, I, I pinch myself that somebody I idolized when I was a teenager, I, I had the opportunity to work with, and we've stayed friends. And she has connected me with all these magical experiences in my musical journey in Los Angeles. Not least of which was playing a couple times with Phil Levitt, who turned around last May, reached out to me and said, you know, I think you're a solid player. We're going to do this album release show at the Roxy and we need another guitar. Do you want to, you know, come by the garage and jam for a couple hours and learn these songs? I was like, yes. yeah, yes, that's, yes. these are the experiences that I want to be having these sort of magical Absolutely. moments of collaboration and sharing music. Um, and so I, I mean, I played nothing but seven horse songs for months, seven horse and then whatever right. jam nights I was going to on the sunset strip. Sure, you know? sure, sure. Um, and we played the Roxy in November and it was a real experience. I made my Amazing. dad fly out. I was like, dad, oh. I don't know when I'm going to play the Roxy ever again. So yes, so yes. Out, come have a rock and roll evening with me. <laughs> I love it. You love you, those iconic spots, you know, it's, it's a dream come true. Um, but you know, I've had you on already for so long and we haven't even talked about Kate Bush and it's so funny. Oh. This happened with a previous guest of mine. Um, we got so much into life and journeys and connections that by, you know, at some point in the podcast, we're like, oh yeah, we're supposed to talk about joy division. That's what we were talking about. And that's what it was about. But with you, you said to me, cause I always ask my guests, cause one of the cores of this show uh, when I have a guest on specifically, is there seems to be an album that did it, that did it, that that is, it's the one that it can happen early in life, it can happen later in life, but it's the thing that you hear that you can no longer resist creating music. Yes. You have to, you have to. Yes. And you said to me, you said, I'll let you say what it is. Jacob, it is unequivocally The Dreaming by Kate Bush. Which I am. I remember, and I remember where I was when I heard this record for the first time. I remember it vividly. I remember what it felt like in my body when I heard these songs. Yes. Tell me, where were you? Shall I? Yes, yes. So this is, I'm actually quite. I, I, I treasure this story because it's so odd that I, I, I can only imagine that, uh, I don't think anyone has a story quite like this in terms of hearing this record for the first time. Maybe they oh, have I more can't interesting wait. stories. Maybe they're totally banal, but this one really like, I, I will hold this close to my heart forever. I was 19 years old. Um, the first season of warehouse 13 had wrapped. And so sci-fi was, um, sort of sending me around all the uh, unscripted adventure shows. Um, so I was going to go make my first appearance on Destination Truth. Okay, uh, which yes. Meant I, had a, I had a long flight down to South America. 
mm-hmm. and at that time, uh, I had I didn't I didn't even have an iPhone at that point. I had a little iPod Nano, so I was I was in the mode of like getting my airplane playlist together. And right. full credit has to go to my friend Tom Lieber, who has um, really shepherded my exposure to music that uh, I couldn't really get anywhere else due to the fact that my parents weren't into it. I don't have brothers and sisters and I wasn't, you know, in public school with other people who could be right. uh, showing me this. So, so, so uh, shout out to Tom for being um, um, my honorary big sister. Uh, way to go, Tom. A way to go, Tom. Tom said to me, girl, you, you in particular need Kate Bush in your spirit. So, mm-hmm. you know, here's the dreaming and yeah. listen to it on your flight. Now, that's a really polarizing album to start with, as I'm sure yes. you found in your research. It is wildly <laughs> experimental. It came yes. out before Hounds of Love and was not mm-hmm. the commercial success that Hounds of Love is. She produced it entirely herself, which blows me away. This record is so, once again, it's challenging. It's yes. weird, deeply weird to listen to. It is. Like, I mean, she's constantly changing her key signature so the timing gets a little disorienting sometimes. One of the things that I love about her performance on it is her her commitment to her characters in her songs yes. is mm-hmm. so is so fierce. She's not afraid to make her voice ugly and mm-hmm. uh and offensive sometimes to the ear, right, right? right? So I'm 19, I'm on an overnight flight from Los Angeles to Northern Chile. And I took a, <laughs> I took an Advil PM so that I could sleep. Right. And why that was the moment I decided to press play on the dreaming. I don't <laughs> know. But when I tell you I did not sleep on that flight because I, I was tingling all over i felt like i was like seeing new colors behind my eyes as i was hearing these songs um you know somewhere thirty thousand feet in the air uh right it just and it changed everything for me it i just thought oh you can do this you can Mm -hmm. it can be this theatrical and cinematic and not at all i mean and we know that that these songs are very personal and about sort of the existential struggle that she's going through. Uh, but once again, it's through the lens or through the filter of like the the closing song "Get Out of My House" is about The Shining. You know, yeah, I mean, right? It's, so there is that that connection of looking at cinema. You know, horror. This this. You know, that that's amazing. That's amazing. And it was such a perfect choice. And I am a little embarrassed to say that my Kate Bush knowledge is not strong. Um, of course, I know Hounds of Love. You know, that's the mm-hmm. one that um, everybody's familiar with. And she's recently had the resurgence in popularity because of Stranger Things. And she really gets a lot of credit for being groundbreaking as a female artist and as I was reading up on this album and her use of the, I'm drawing a blank on it now. It's the Fairlight or something. It was this computerized it was a synthesizer. Yeah, yeah, it was a synthesizer. Am I saying it was that what it was? I think so. I um, think so. CMI or something. And she, her one of her albums is like the first one to ever use it 
as a studio release, I think the one in 1980, the Never Forever, um, yeah, is the first one. I mean, yeah, pioneer, and and this is the same time that like Peter Gabriel and Stevie Wonder are using it, but they're just touring with it. It's not on their album. She's pushing forward, and then in my limited research time that I I took. Um, I saw also that the albums leading up to the dreaming were a lot of songs she had recorded leading up to getting these record deals. She had a lot, a large catalog of music that she'd written. And this is really the first music that she begins to write after, you know, she's on her own now and she's having to write from a new vantage point of being this artist. And so you think of just taking such a bold, creative leap like that and being so experimental to the point of where the label is going, I don't know what to do with this. And the public is going, I don't know what to do with this. What and it wouldn't. It? Yeah. yeah. What yeah. even is it? And and it wouldn't be until years later that it would be hailed as like what a what a masterpiece and what a what a thing that you can see is about to open the door for Hounds for Love. You know, like that's exactly. what it's going to do. This is this is the record that she has to make. To exercise all these demons out to clear the path to then make the masterpiece that is Hounds of Love. And to me, they're like companion records, right? They really are. You know, Hounds of Love can't exist until she has made the dreaming, right? Like that is a step that cannot be skipped. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's remarkable. And it is so experimental and uh, fitting for us with theater backgrounds and that art and that character like you talked about. And um, I know that this will I want to tread this water lightly because my youth, my childhood growing up in the 90s, Tori Amos was my introduction to this um, universe. That was my introduction. And if you go online and you begin to even Google those two names together, there's a lot of backlash from fans, not necessarily from the artists themselves about comparisons between the two and, you know, who started what and who who led the path. Not from Tori. I surely didn't find really anything from Kate either. It's much more about their fan bases, about saying, mm-hmm. you know, these women are only five years apart in age and um, they're really coming up close to the same time. And um, I think that it would it should be celebrated. These women should be celebrated as both being brilliant creative songwriters and have you know just they absolutely are right i mean and what they make is different right yeah it's different i've had the tom also took me to see tori amos so it's really funny that we're yeah (laughs) yeah yeah you know traipsing through this but isn't it toxic that like instead of um recognizing what a gift it is to have um these female geniuses operating at the the height of their talent and ability that the tendency is to pit them against each other. Like what yes, a toxic and, and tribal t- uh, impulse that is. That's what I saw too. And I thought, why, why? Like clearly they have their own, uh, their own thing, their own stories. And if you see similarities between artists, the, the thing is, is that uh, being a woman um, being a songwriter, being somebody who sits down at a piano and experiments and finds things and has to deal with, g- good God, the things that were happening in the music industry back then and still happen to this day, but even more so um, with the just the blatant misogyny and you know being a male versus a female and 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 those kind of structures that were in place. Of course, these women would create things that you go, "Wow, I can see similarities between the two." But it is so toxic to pin them against each other and not just say, "Wow, Kate Bush, Tori Amos, 
both awesome, both kick ass, love them. You love them. Okay, great. You know, it's like, let's just celebrate that they both do amazing things. And then when I listened to the dreaming, I was like, there is so much of their worlds that I actually think that it's even cooler to be a fan of both. Cause I think that they both are so creative and out of the box and write those, those perspectives. I, I just really, this was a fun record to go through. Cause I was like, I didn't know what to expect. Every song was a new journey. It was like, what is she doing? <laughs> it was crazy. I, right before we got on, I just listened to it top to bottom. And, you know, there are some songs on this record that if I'm not careful, like if I'm feeling a type of way, I, I like, I have to pull the car over because I, it, it, it Gets hits you. me so hard. Like on Houdini, um, you know, when she, so Houdini, of course, is, this is a song she wrote um, from the perspective of Houdini's wife watching her husband drown. Right. And yeah, that's so, yeah. first of all, that's a, that's a devastating story by itself. And then to mm -hmm. take the emotionality of that story and put it to music and create a vocal performance that is in line with a woman watching the love of her life die in front of her. I, yeah. The emotion in Kate's voice when she sings the line with your spit still on my lips, you hit the water. Just saying that line, I, I like yeah. need a second. I, yeah. It's so, it is so, uh, it's, I think it's brilliant theater, <laughs> right? It like, is. It's, it's brilliant it's theater. Brilliant and it's, it's like those lines of dialogue when you're watching a fantastic movie and somebody says something and you literally go, Oh, you know what I mean? Oh, Where you go, you yes. go, Oh, just poetry and the words and the phrasing, the way it's uttered and the same with songs. And it is theater. And, and what I love is every guest I've had come on this show so far, we all experience music in this way where it wrecks us a little bit. And it's oh. like, I needed to pull over. I needed to take a moment. I needed to, I needed to take some space and time. And I hope that everybody who listens to this has those moments because it, it truly is remarkable when you give in and kind of surrender to the sound so much that it, it, it almost takes you a minute to return to regular life and um, do you have a favorite on the dreaming? Would it be Houdini? Uh, I don't know. It's not Houdini, although that one really makes me emotional. Um, I think it, it changes every time I listen to it. Right? That's like fine. We could, That's fine. We could almost go track by track, and I could tell you like my favorite thing about about each yeah. one. Right? Like for example, so suspended in Gaffa, right? Mm -hmm. Which I I think is a song about the experience, what she imagines the experience of purgatory is, right? Mm. Um, I had heard, before I heard this record, there was a cover of it by that precious, like, elegant collegiate band, Ra Ra Riot. Remember? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember Ra Ra Riot. When the sound was like Vampire Weekend, Phoenix's second record, Ra Ra Riot, this like very, you know, uh, very pastoral. specific time in music. Yes, <laughs> you know, yes, yes. It's, it's giving Cape Cod. It's giving, you know, frolicking totally. through a, you know, through a pasture. Um, and I Love thought it. it was a really beautiful composition. It just, it's such a romantic song to me. And then I heard her version of it and there's this kind of um papa rhythm behind it. 
And then there's a really vulnerable vocal moment where she's not even singing. She just whispers into the microphone, I'm scared of the changes. Ooh, I need to go listen and to this. And that's another one. And that's another one that like, I, when I think about it, when I hear it, when I say it out loud, the, the performance is so true. It's so real. Yeah. When she, when she makes her again, like sometimes she's willing to make her voice ugly. Sometimes it's, it's loaded with vulnerability. And that's one of those moments. I'm sc- I'm scared of the changes. She says, yes. <laughs> just, yes. oh. Oh, right. The feels. Um, I love it. Right, I love right it. There, there, there was yeah, another I one mean, that th- this, I, I only got to listen to it, I think twice through. And so I need so much more to digest in there, but there were, th- when you said, that willingness to kind of make it ugly or uncomfortable or to to do things to mm. your voice that sound otherworldly. That was definitely what, what I was experiencing. There was a song on there because I wasn't expecting because she has such a pretty voice so pretty. that it would go to these places where there was like this one where you could hear almost like a scream in the chorus of this, like a real grittiness. And I was like, I wasn't expecting that. I can't remember what side. It might have been like leave it open or something like that. But I was I, there was something where she was saying saying like a, a refrain, and I was like, oh my god, it sounds like her voice is like is like tearing a little bit in there, and it was so impressive. I don't know what song it was, but it I was, bet it uh, was leave it open. It sounds it like was leave out. it open. There's, yeah. there's some howling going on there. Yeah, I mean, Jacob, this woman ends the album with "Get Out of My House," where the last utterance. She has changed into a mule and is hee-hawing, okay? Like, it's not supposed to be pretty. It's not supposed to be sexy. Yeah. She she changes into a mule to hee-haw at the entity she wants to get out of her house. I love it. I'm I'm gone. I have to leave. Done. (laughs) Done. She's a freaking genius. And this record is so powerful. I mean, and I... The thing that twists me up too about the genius of Kate Bush is like she was signed when she was like 17 years old. Yeah. Yeah. That's what but, I found too. But a, a somebody with less vision would have rushed right into that experience. Kate Bush gets signed and she says, I need another two years of dance training because mm. I, there's, I know what it is that I want to do and I'm not ready to do it yet. Right. Right. And it's it's the vision for me. Yeah. It's the yeah. absolute like long game creative vision of like I'm not just going to sing these songs. I'm going to perform these songs with my entire body and create mm-hmm. a narrative and create a performance. There are, you know, you can find archival photos of her dancing uh and I I have one like in my favorites on my phone. It's just like young Kate in ballet class. And I look at that photo sometimes when I need the the reassurance of like, yeah, being a weird multi-hyphenate, it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> it worked for Kate. That you know? is so cool. Yeah, and this album, it says took her two years to to do, two years of, of writing. And I mean, that's I mean, that kind of dedication. dedication. Yeah, that dedication, that focus. Um, you know, we definitely live in a world today where everything's immediate and the moment you drop a song or put out a piece of work, people are already asking, what's next? What are you working on next? And and it's like just to get through, I mean, just to get through one thing, to get through, to to finish your first novel, script, song, project, short film, whatever. It's just such a huge undertaking and task, and it's depleting in and of itself that um, to put that time and energy into something 
and then to be able to stand back and say, okay, now I'm ready to work on the other thing, but there's plenty of time to reflect and look and enjoy what just came out. And the dreaming is, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to encourage my audience if they're not familiar with Kate Bush and all you know is Hounds of Love. Um, this is a, it's a weird journey, but take those, take those, take those steps into kind of experiencing something that you're not sure of where it's going to go and listen to those sounds. There's a lot going on to that in that space. Um, I was listening and just all the different things that were being put in there um, digitally and analog wise and vocally. And there was a lot of playing around. And uh, I think that's really exciting. That's exciting. And we could use more of that today. We could use a little bit like it doesn't all have to be so sleek and pretty. It doesn't all have to be in a perfect little box. It should be a little wild. Art is meant to be kind of like, I don't know. I don't, dangerous. <laughs> dangerous. Dangerous. I don't know what this yeah. person's doing. It's not, I can't put a sticker on it and sell it to anyone. That should, that should be definitely what's available. Sure. If you like your, if you like your slick, shiny thing, that's, don't worry. There will always be plenty of that, but right. we should still make room for uh for a little bit of this kind of innovation. So I'm totally. so glad you chose it. Is there is there anything about um, Kate Bush and the dreaming from that time being on that flight? Like, have you had a chance to see her live? I have never seen her live and it is the greatest. You know, she doesn't. She does. Does she not tour? I don't. Lot. Yeah, I don't there know. Was, uh, she the last album she put out. 50 words for snow she did i think it was like just a two-night engagement in london where she performed i'm gonna get this wrong it's fine it was like it was a total immersive you know production um her son was part of it she i think at one point she was wired up and flew out over the audience you know yes she's she's a visionary uh and i think at that time she performed maybe half of Hounds of Love from, you mm-hmm. know, and it's, um, in record order. Yeah. Um, no, I, I wish, I wish I could see her live. Um, well, I, I'm a big, like go to a concert and then be so moved. You're just ugly crying the whole time. Every oh. time I see, I've seen Patty Smith now three times and love every it. time I see Patty, I'm, I, I sob. <laughs> I am right there with you. I'm a concert crier. I'm a concert crier. <laughs> I've had to turn to people next to me and go like this. I'm sorry. This is just, you know, cause I'm literally like blubbering to myself. So I'm right there with you on that. But if Kate Bush comes to Los Angeles, I will, I'm going to join whatever group you're going with. Cause I, I've got to be there for that experience as well. So to watch me weep. Yes. Yeah. The, uh, something that I want to add and I want to speak to is like, you know, obviously running up that hill, like wonderful songs. It's, it's amazing. It's amazing. amazing. That's another yeah. one that I mean, uh, can make me emotional. Right. Sure. Uh, lyrically, the I mean, the, the pounding rhythm, just all, all of it. It's a it's an amazing recording. Right. Um, and the fact that it blew up. Uh, this year and so a whole new generation of people who might otherwise not have been exposed to her work were suddenly like oh this is I love this song right it's the song from Stranger Things and my friends are like are you feeling a little territorial are you being toxic fan and I was like no you know what I want people to know 
the shoulders that we stand on as, you know, new musicians in a new landscape. And I would just encourage, you know, folks who loved running up that hill on Stranger Things, like go back, go back to the first record, listen to the kick inside when she's 17, her voice is so high and she sings a song about the novel Wuthering Heights, right? Like it's, start from the beginning, make your way through the catalog all the way back up to running up that hill to see the journey that she took to get there. And it's so rich. It's so rewarding. Right. And the dreaming is that, that penultimate, like it's the dark night of the soul before she emerges into the triumph of, of hounds of love. So, you know, don't let let the, you know, just the awesome single be the end of your exploration of this amazing, amazing artist and human being. I'm so glad you said that. And I'm so glad you're of the mind that the more the merrier, um, with the success of Stranger Things, I was asked not about Kate Bush, but I, about the Metallica thing blowing up. A lot of people were mm. in my comments asking me about that as well. And I was like, I'm not bothered at all. Why would I be like I am thrilled that there would be an entire new generation of people that would find the music that is important to me and to so many others to be good and meaningful um, you know, and and especially artists like these that you go, they really were breaking down walls and trying new things and, and different at the time. And I think it's great. And I'm never territorial about my music. I never am. I'm always excited for people to learn. And I, if I could, I could tell um, everybody and to listen the to everything. Alternative? Like, Oh no, it's just for us. And then it yeah. dies with us. Yeah. And the, it, the children can't have it. Right. They can't <laughs> have it. You know, right. it's that mentality from when we were growing up and a band would be, you, you'd be into a band or you'd be a, with a group of friends and then the band would start getting popular. And you'd always have that friend or more than just that friend that would be like, well, I'm not really into them anymore, you know, since they're popular. And it's always so funny to me. And it's like, uh, that's never been my feeling. The more success that a band has that I love, I'm thrilled for them because, you know, um, outside of money and outside of fame, the fact that your art is being consumed by many is a wonderful feeling. It's a wonderful feeling, right? That's this, all this. we can hope for, you know, I, I want it. her genius to be remembered. Yes. Yes. Right. As yes. it should be, as it should be. Well, I we, I am so happy we took this time. This is one of those shows that I didn't want to end, but I know that you have things that you need to do, and um, I am so happy that you took this time. And our friendship just got like we're ten times closer now, just after this podcast, because like we were hanging out and already having fun. But now, I mean, geez, now look at all these connections we have. Well, listen, now I'm gonna call you. You know when I'm. Getting my tickets to see the Cure at the Hollywood Bowl. Yes, I just what section? What section are you sitting in, Jacob? Let's link up. Let's wear all black. All black and go see the cure. I saw the cure announcement and I was like, I am not missing that. I am not. I've oh. never seen the cure live, um, which is just shocking for me. My that, That's my brother's biggest band of all time. I adore them. But like the way Pumpkins is for me is the way the cure was for him. And so the cure is a huge part. And when I saw they were coming, I was like, we not ha- might not have that many more chances to see them. I don't know how much longer Robert Smith is going to be willing to put on the old lipstick and, and, you know, <laughs> zhuzh up that hair. Oh. Um, so <laughs> we got to do it. We got to do it. We I did it. see, I saw them in 2008 at the Hollywood bowl. And so oh. this will be my return to, 
to crying at yes. the bowl for yes. Robert. <laughs> 15 years later, 15 years 15 later. Wow. Years later, wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Um, before I let you go, is there anything, let's make sure we link people to check out your stuff. What's the best place to find you, um, you know, on, on internet, on the internet so they can find your on music. The yes. Sure. Um, on Instagram, I'm <laughs> at witty handle. Um, at witty handle. I've, I've had that Instagram for before it was a public facing thing. And now I've sure. had that handle for so long. I feel I can't change it. Um, I have to do the shameless plug. I know that we talked about cynicism in our, you know, in our journey as performer people, but I get asked for creative guidance from new folks so much that I have just started uh, offering private acting coaching. That's wonderful. So you can go to silentgentertainment.com and book me for a, a private uh, session to get ready for an audition or work on a, you know, a piece of material that you really want to understand. I and love that. I will be happy to um, open up my... Uh, my archives of experience and, and yes. knowledge. And, I love uh, that. And share it. Um, yeah, the music is La Femme Pendue or Fainting Party. You can find all of that through um, through the grams. Um, yes. Yeah, and and that's it. Good. I have to say, Jacob, like I'm so I'm so happy that you asked me to do this and also convinced me to come out of my um my podcast sabbatical. I knew I didn't want to <laughs> go into it too much because I wanted to make sure you were comfortable, but I just, as the audience knows, she was initially not wanting to, you know, go on a podcast anytime soon, but I, she came around and I'm, th- I'm so happy that she did because I think it was, it was great. And did you have fun? I had a great time. We talked about all my favorite things. All my favorite things. <laughs> All my favorite things. Um, thank you, everyone. Once again, it was such a joy to go through that album with Allison and talk about her life and her journey. And I, there's so few people um, on the podcast that I get a chance to talk about that acting side of my life. You know, everybody that I've had on here so far has been from a music connection. And while that's a big part of her life and her career focus right now, having that connection through theater and through acting and through film and television it's really cool because that is a huge part of my life that I don't get to talk about very much, but it really informs a lot of who I am as a person. There's a there's a lot of that theater kid. Um, you've heard me joke about it before, but I was born with jazz hands. Um, it's just, you know, it's just something. It's a it's in my nature. <laughs> so before I get you out of here, make sure to check out that uh, sponsor of mine, distrokid.com slash VIP slash waterproof for your 30% off your first year getting your music out there and make sure you follow all those links, everything that Allison mentioned on the show, it'll be linked in this episode and you can, you can check out everything she's got going on. I highly recommend you check out La Femme Pendue. Um, I hope I did that good one last time for her. I think I can see her down here. giving me a thumbs up. So with that, thanks for listening to waterproof records. We'll see you next time. Things are going to change. I can feel it. It's just going to be that kind of fun.